Hackensack Meridian Children's Health is comprised of two nationally ranked children's hospitals by U.S. News and World Report and are number one in New Jersey. K. Hafnadian Children's Hospital in Neptune and Joseph M. Sanzari Children's Hospital in Hackensack, as well as pediatric inpatient and outpatient services at JFK University Medical Center in Edison. With access to expert pediatricians and over 200 pediatric specialists across the state, Hackensack Meridian Children's Health prides itself on offering specialized pediatric medical care and surgical expertise. To learn more about Hackensack Meridian Children's Health, visit hackensackmeridianhealth.org kids. My name is Kate Santangelo. Welcome to the Monmouth Moms podcast, part of the Monmouth Moms Network. Listen in as we bring awareness to the best local resources for growing families in Monmouth County, New Jersey, chat with local moms and mompreneurs, highlight our favorite resources, local spots, restaurants, and more. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mammoth Moms podcast. We are here today on this beautiful summer day in Bell Works in Homedale, New Jersey. Um, beautiful day. I am enjoying August a bit more than I was um, July. The summer has been very strange, and June was also like, well, actually, I guess June was nicer, but July was like we had the smoke. And then the, or was that even in June? I don't know. It's, it's a blur. June. It's a blur of like bad weather, yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. I know you get those summers like occasionally where it like rains a lot and it's just like very unpredictable, which everyone keeps saying like, oh, we live in Florida now. This is what it's like to live in Florida. So I, I don't know. But I am enjoying the weather so far, but I feel like because of this strange summer, it's been, it went by even more quickly and you're trying to savor it. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned on the last, um, the last podcast that, I have made an executive decision for all parents out there to stop worrying so much about back to school because we're not there yet. Agreed. <laughs> and enjoy the summer, enjoy your children, and go to the beach. If you don't like the beach, go to the pool, mm -hmm. go, you know, go hiking, go do something because um, before you know it, they are 19 yeah. and they don't live with you anymore. Like my son, my son just moved out. Mm -hmm. um, so it goes so quickly. Um, but I am enjoying all things summer in Monmouth County. And um, actually, we just put up a, a bucket list of um, fun things to do in, in um, August in Monmouth County. So check that out on the Monmouth Moms. Um, but yeah. today, we are continuing our series with our family health care series with Hackensack Meridian Children's Health. Uh, thank you so much to Dr. Uh, Nader Knackley, is a board-certified pediatric pulmonologist specializing in the care of infants, children, and teens with respiratory disorders. Um, he's also the division chief of pediatric pulmonology. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you for having me. Um, we are discussing all things asthma today and also going to touch a little bit on allergies. Sure. Which um, I believe is your specialty. So yeah, we see it. we see a little of that. <laughs> a little of that, yeah. right? Um, so my children have 
never had asthma. I have no experience with asthma, mm-hmm. um, but lots of uh, parents, you know, face um, having their children diagnosed with asthma and also, um, and maybe, you know, they themselves have developed it. So really curious to um, kind of delve in today and learn more about um, signs and symptoms to watch out for, um, how prevalent, you know, certain asthmas are, um, exercise-induced asthma. I've heard that mm-hmm. term, like even when I was a child, I think one of my siblings may have been diagnosed with that. Um but what, um, what what are like the main, I guess, uh, causes of asthma and what, you know, can parents really look out for when, um, you know, they think that maybe their children might have a problem breathing? Sure. It's, it's, um, it's a tricky question to try to explain or to, the, to get to the root of what causes asthma because it's an, actually an unanswered question. Okay. Um, there are genetic variations that we don't fully understand yet. There's interactions between people's genetics and their environment. Um, and there are also immune system changes over the years that have, um, you know, changed how human beings sort of react to things in their environment, uh, hence allergies. But the diagnosis of asthma is not as difficult to make. Uh, it's usually a, a result of repetitive episodes of wheezing and or coughing. Um, if this were to happen, let's say on three or more occasions where a child wheezes excessively from being sick, let's say, or from other some other interaction with a trigger like a food allergen or from, um, let's say, exposure to a pet or some sort of allergen, um, you know, I, I always say three strikes you're out. If, you, if you've wheezed and or coughed and you've been given, let's say, a medication called albuterol, which is something that you find like in an asthma inhaler, uh, it's used also in a nebulizer machine. If your doctor's prescribed that for you or an ER and it's been uh, recurring, mm-hmm. at that point, it's fair to say your child probably has asthma and should seek further care with the pediatrician, primary care doctor, and or specialist. Um, the root cause of asthma itself is difficult, as I said, but the triggers for what makes a child cough a lot and or wheeze a fair amount uh, are pretty well defined. And you mentioned a few of them, exercise can trigger a child to cough and go into what we call a bronchospasm, which is the the thing that causes you to wheeze. Um, Weather fluctuations, extreme temperatures, extreme heat, extreme cold. Illnesses, viruses are a top reason, especially in the little ones, Mm -hmm. the preschoolers and the the toddlers. Um, And there's, um, you know, um, uh, the allergen exposure, whether it be a food trigger or um, an environmental trigger, those things can be tested for with allergy tests. And so we, we, we enlist the help of our, our local allergists uh, numerous times for patients who need help managing that part of their asthma. Um, but it's something that we see plenty of and are handling it with um, you know, pretty excessive, um, um, effectively with medications that treat the symptoms. And also in some situations, we use medications to control the asthma. Uh, uh, different, I guess, severity of asthma. There's mm-hmm. mild, there's moderate to severe. Um, but it's a big umbrella term. Yeah, it defines yeah. a lot of things. So asthma, you know, I've always been taught, you know, what is asthma? Is asthma really a thing? It, it's it's a word that describes many things. Interesting. But it's uh, in, in, at its root, it's uh, airway spasms that cause cough and or wheeze that seems to repeat, not just once or twice. Uh, you probably heard of RSV, mm-hmm. bronchiolitis. Babies can do that. They can cough and wheeze from RSV or similar infections. That doesn't mean they have asthma. Mm-hmm. That's just a one-time thing that's triggered by a virus. But when it happens repeatedly um, and predictably, I guess, we uh, we then go into the world of asthma and treat them for, for those conditions. Okay. Are babies um, sometimes born with asthma? 
Is that, or do they, do you develop asthma like at a certain, is there like more yeah. prevalent time where children develop it at age? There are, there are different schools of thought. And years ago, people would say you can't diagnose asthma in kids under two. And I disagree. Um, infants can have asthma. Um, you know, I've had six month olds who cough and wheeze repeatedly uh, and they don't have some sort of structural heart, you know, heart or lung problem. They have asthma um, and they tend to have strong family histories. But um, we tend to find the first onset of wheeze or repeated wheeze in the uh, in the preschooler age, the two, three, four year olds who are getting sick a lot, let's say in preschool who come down with illnesses because their older siblings brought them home and, and then they start to have symptoms early on. So we tend to find it early on, but there are very few babies actually born with active symptoms of asthma. You sort of start developing it once you've been you know, triggered by something, so to speak. Okay. Um, there is something called the allergic march. Uh, it's the sort of, uh, sort of uh, natural history of the progression of allergy and asthma where an infant actually might present early on with eczema. Uh, which is sort of an allergic phenomenon that this, uh, where the skin is dry and scaly and irritated, um, can be a result of, let's say, reaction to milk or milk protein, um, or a food allergen, let's just say. Uh, and that can sort of uh, start to improve and then morph into recurrent wheezing, which then can morph into seasonal allergies. And, and then you have a, this sort of typical sort of, we call it a march that the people kind of predictably kind of go through. Um, so I never realized that. So people that are predisposed or have some type of allergy are also, it's predisposed to having asthma. Is that like they're linked? Yeah. There's like the, I call them three musketeers, allergies, asthma, and eczema. Uh, wow. they, they, they don't always live together, but they, they're, they're frequently hanging out. Interesting. Uh, so if you have one, you probably have another one. Okay. Uh, and some people have all three. Okay. Yeah. So, is asthma preventable? It does it depend on how much, how the type of asthma you have, in terms of like having a um, an episode, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, what I always tell parents is, I can't make your child not have asthma, mm -hmm. but what I can do is I can help identify what's likely to trigger it, mm -hmm. and if a child has frequent episodes or has what we call persistent asthma, then we prescribe them medication that prevents the flare-ups by treating inflammation on a daily basis in an anti-inflammatory inhaler. So there are medicines that help reduce the number of flare-ups you have in a year, but the truth is nothing can really stop an asthma attack from happening. Um, but once you recognize it's starting, then you have a, a good action plan in place and you can stop the symptoms much quicker with, with the know-how. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what it, um, you are a newer parent, right? And you have, you know, your first child and they appear to have, or be struggling to breathe, right? For the first time. And you're not sure what's happening. Um, you don't have an inhaler on hand, right? There's been no diagnosis. Mm -hmm. What, um, what do you advise? Like just take them straight to the hospital, bring them to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, does it depend on like the, I guess, severity of the episode? Yeah, no, that could be a very scary situation for either a new parent or a parent of a, of a second or even a third child to see them in distress and having trouble breathing. Uh, the majority of those first-time episodes are usually associated with an illness of some sort, like, a, like an RSV or some virus infection. Mm -hmm. um, the best thing to do at that point is to pick up the phone and contact your primary care doctor. There's always an on-call physician or provider you can speak to to kind of help you, you know, over the phone decide what the next steps are based on what the child is doing. What we typically tell parents when, when they call us for this advice 
is kind of count the respirations. Mm -hmm. How many times per minute is the child appear to be breathing? So sort of count it, use a stopwatch. Um, stopwatch, use your phone. Um, <laughs> there's stopwatch and, on phones. It's never stopwatch. Yeah, there's stopwatch app on your phone. Yeah. Um, and we look at the chest wall. We look at uh, how uh, how hard they're breathing. Are, are the ribs showing? Are their nostrils flaring? Are they using these accessory muscles to sort of like, you know, flare out and, and help themselves? If they're doing those things that appear to be uh, signs of distress, then we recommend an ER visit if it's night or a weekend, mm -hmm. uh, urgent care ER. Because that child, even though may end up, end up being just fine in the long run. In the short term, you want to make sure they're under good monitoring and their oxygen levels are good. Um, but if you have a child who's breathing at a reasonable rate and not working too hard and is uh, drinking and, uh, let's say, uh, wetting diapers fairly well, not dehydrated, uh, these symptoms can be managed over the over the phone or um, call in medications over to the pharmacy. It doesn't always involve an ER visit. But um, if it's the third time a parent is calling their pediatrician with that same description, at that point we say, why don't we look into asthma? Like, so the, the three strikes you're out rule I said before. Interesting. Okay. Uh, it shouldn't keep happening that way. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you mentioned earlier when um, there's different types of asthma, right? Mm. Um, I've heard the term many times: exercise-induced asthma. What exactly is that? Is that a diagnosis? Is oh, that sure a type is. of asthma? Mm -hmm. So. On the spectrum of asthma, when it comes from mild, moderate, severe, and we see, we see them all, um, exercise-induced asthma, some people feel is like one of the milder forms because it doesn't typically involve having to take a medication every day for prevention as far as a steroid inhaler, anti-inflammatory, but rather a rescue inhaler is kept on hand and utilized when the patient has symptoms or even before. So if a child or an adolescent you know, is known to cough or feel chest tightness when they run, or play a specific sport, and it's very sort of noticeable that every time they run and do X, Y, or Z, they need their inhaler to feel better, then we tell them to pre-treat. You know, take two puffs of albuterol before you go for a run and you're just fine. Mm. Uh, very rarely will a child have, who has asthma triggered by exercise require ER care or urgent care or hospitalization. It usually is very manageable with just an albuterol inhaler. It's more like a, um, like discomfort versus mm -hmm. like something that's extreme. Correct. Okay. I mean, the, 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 airway, the airway muscles that surround your bronchi or your bronchial tubes uh, go into a bit of a spasm. We call it a bronchospasm. And that's what makes it hard to breathe. Mm -hmm. And then there's some wheezing and there's some coughing and there's some difficulty uh, that, that ensues. And the albuterol inhaler stops that right away. It works quickly. Um, so you could take it as a rescue once you feel something or you could take it beforehand uh, before you go for a run if you know what's going to happen. I see. Um, but that's that's one subset of asthma. It's just sort of the – and it's you know pretty fairly di easily diagnosed with just a history. Take a good history and find out that the child only does it when they run or play, you know, this sport or that sport, then you, you have that diagnosis. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, is there a main type of asthma that, like, you, is most mostly diagnosed, or there really is it kind of all over the place in terms I think of... the most common type is um, it, when it comes to the age groups, the toddlers and preschoolers and kindergartners, though, th that's viral-induced wheezing, you know, illness-triggered. Uh, once you get a little older into, like, the um, elementary school and teens, it's allergy-induced asthma. Okay. So those two are very common. Right. I mean, in the state of New Jersey, you have 160-some-odd thousand kids with asthma. In Monmouth County, it's something like 10,000, uh, which is roughly like, you know, um, I think it's like something like 7% um, of kids in Monmouth County have asthma. Wow. So it's a fairly common thing. Um, it can get I always say it can be underdiagnosed and it can be overdiagnosed because mm -hmm. there are things that are in asthma. Um, so if a child is complaining, uh, bring it to attention to the physician or provider and uh, and see if it requires further management. 
Um, are there symptoms that maybe wouldn't typically be like if you're not seeing wheezing, but maybe you're having trouble getting a full breath? Is that something that's asthma, like maybe undiagnosed right. asthmatic person? Yes. Those are the trickier ones. The ones that don't wheeze make our life more difficult because wheezing is kind of an easy tip off, right? It's a, it's a pretty classic symptom. Easy for a parent to describe, you know, that out exhaling whistle uh, that occurs. Um, but there is also just chest tightness, uh, which is kind of vague, but some kids feel that. And some kids will just cough. Okay. It's called cough fairy and asthma. They just cough and cough and cough and nothing stops it until you take an inhaler or do a treatment. Um, so so those are more, more difficult to diagnose, but not difficult once you gather the full history uh, and run some lung function testing, you know, if they're old enough to do it. Uh, these are all things that help us, you know, diagnose things when they're not so straightforward. Okay. Yeah. Um, if your their child your child is having um, an asthma attack, and like I said, you this is kind of you know undiagnosed, and you don't know what to do. Um, is there something? Does it make it better if they go out in the cold air or um, in a steamy shower? Like I know that those are some things that um, if you have croup, you know, mm -hmm. to, to, uh, you tell patients to do sometimes. Um, is there anything else to like help them kind of? Yeah, I, th I think what helps is um, humidity is helpful, right? So if you have like a, a humidifier, the steam shower, it is soothing. It slows down your respirations. It kind of minimizes the the stress and anxiety of having some some difficulty breathing. Um, but many times, nothing really will really stop an asthma, let's say, attack or an episode, unless you have some medication on hand. And that's why the urgent care or the ER is the right place to go if you're if it's persistent. Um, the cold air does seem to help, you know, little ones who are, who are experiencing croup, mm -hmm. which is a little different from asthma, but it's an illness that, that triggers difficulty breathing and a very distinct type seal barking cough. Right. Um, and the cold air does nothing more than constrict the blood vessels uh, and decrease the, the, you know, the swelling that's occurring up in the voice box. Interesting. And so that's why, you know, going out in the cold in the wintertime can make a kid who's crouping sound better and just breathe easier. Okay. Um, but won't. Uh, won't necessarily help an asthmatic. Um, in fact, extreme cold temperatures can actually trigger a bronchospasm. Um, so we don't recommend uh, folks who are having asthma symptoms go out in the cold. But if there was access to humidifier uh, and nothing else, that's one place to start. Okay. Yeah. So in extreme um, cases of asthma, mm -hmm. um, what does that look like for a patient every day? Like, are they having attacks every day? Is it like really hard to manage and get under control? What does that look like for some of your patients? Yeah, for some of our most severe patients who report symptoms, you know, before going on therapy, let's say, um, if we're meeting them for the very first time and we try to take a history, what, what most severe asthmatics will describe are symptoms that are occurring almost daily. Not severe symptoms, just, just a cough or a chest and having to reach for their inhaler. If they're taking their medication uh, fairly regularly, um, having you know urgent care visits or ER visits like twice a year or more, requiring let's say a shot of steroids or a dose of steroids, um, having difficulty um, at night. Nighttime seems to be the one time of the day where coughing and wheezing will occur more frequently in asthma. Um, so twice a, twice a week, I'm sorry, twice a month or more, they're up coughing. using And all these symptoms sort of help categorize their asthma as mild, moderate, or severe. Um, so when you fall into a severe category, uh, we have to sort of chase after that severity with, with the, a different, let's say, cocktail of medications. Mm -hmm. The inhalers that we use are extremely safe, low dose, and avoid patients from having to go on those big gun steroids, so to speak. Um, and so we, we tailor each patient's asthma severity to their, their dose of medication that we prescribe. And in some situations where 
the patient is on a regimen that's appropriate for an asthmatic who's severe. Um, we have other um, tricks up our sleeve, so to speak, and there are medications that are uh, in uh, injectable format that are given every few weeks or every, every um, let's say, every month. Um, probably seen commercials for these things. They're called biologics. Um, we won't name names, but there are definitely um, you know, medications that we reserve for the severe patients that really help that are non-steroid, uh, but also reduce inflammation. Okay. Yeah. Um, you mentioned food allergens and there being a link to um, to to asthma or to um, triggering asthma attacks. Mm -hmm. um, is it only food or is it airborne as well? Is there, mm. is it depending on the Could case? Be, yeah. Uh, uh, a, B, and C, all of them. I mean, they, there is, uh, there is uh, a fair amount uh, of, of data on allergen-triggered asthma, and the honest truth is we don't know until either you test them or you, they try different foods. Um, foods can trigger asthma, flare-ups, uh, most commonly the the um, the dairy products, uh, uh, meaning eggs and milk, um, nuts, shellfish. Uh, these are your common triggers, sometimes soy. Uh, but we find that they'll trigger eczema first in the young ones, mm -hmm. and sometimes if if it persists, it may trigger the asthma as they get older. Um, so you'll hear about peanut allergen being a food and airborne, uh, in a sense, if you're very sensitive. But pet dander, dust, trees, grasses, molds, ragweeds are your so-called environmental triggers. Mm -hmm. So we'll always take a very detailed history of like what's in the home, who smokes, who vapes, do you have pets? Um, oh, are there, vaping are there, can cause allergies too. It's an irritant like any other. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. So there are there are um, a lot of things that we need to take sort of take a uh, take a history from a parent and from a child is, you know, how many stuffed animals do you have in your bed, right? So how much dust is there? Mm -hmm. And it's not a matter of, you know, cleanliness. We never question people's cleanliness, but it's a matter of, you know, what are what is the child around and how can we minimize that? Do we have to recommend an air purifier? Do we have to recommend maybe having the pet not be in the room so much? Um, so I hate to do that to people unless I know they're allergic. So that that's where we have our allergists help us with some testing. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, can you outgrow asthma? Is that Ooh, the right term? Yeah. To even use um, if you, <laughs> you, you, you can't. Here's what I tell parents, because this is the truth. I never like to lie to people. Um, you can outgrow your need for medicine. You're probably not going to outgrow your 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 body's tendency to have asthma. In other words, it sounds like a weird answer, but but what I'm trying to say is I have patients who hit a certain age, stop coughing, stop wheezing, stop needing medications, and don't need to come back to us anymore mm -hmm. um, at whatever age, let's just say nine or 10. It doesn't mean their asthma's gone. Mm -hmm. I always tell them, look, you can hold off on coming back to see me, but it's a decent chance, like when you're off in college, you may start noticing a lot of sniffling, sneezing, itchy, watery eyes. You might even cough or wheeze when you're older. It can come back. Okay. Um, and that's that allergic march I was talking about. It starts off one way. It morphs into something else. Maybe it goes away for a while. And you have a little bit of a, of a, of a honeymoon or a break from it. Um, you have an outgrow in it. Um, but you can celebrate that you're not requiring medicines for a while. Mm -hmm. So you can outgrow the need for medicine but not having the actual, you know, the genetic makeup you have is what you have, okay. right? So that's kind of what I try to tell people: is don't, don't think this can't come back again. I hope it doesn't, right? right? But it, it can. I have a, um, I don't know, they call it like a fainting disorder, so to speak, a vasovagal syncope. Mm -hmm. And I, when I was 
like in middle school, it happened all the time. I would, if I, any like stress relief on my body, if I hit my elbow, like I hit my funny bone in wood shop and I woke up all like on the floor and all, you know, all this different um, things kept happening. They kept happening over and over. So mm. I was diagnosed and put on all kinds of medication, like a salt tab or whatever. Yep. And, um, but then I outgrew, I, they said like I outgrew it. Right. Um, so I thought that I would just never have it again. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought it was like something that happened like when I was younger and now I'm like cured. But then um, I guess like two years ago, I woke up at, I was 37 at the time and I woke up with like a weird like pain in my stomach. And the next thing I knew, I was like going down on the mm. floor. Um, so there, you know, I went to the doctor and he said, I don't really like the term outgrowing something because, exactly. you know, it's not so much that you don't have it anymore. It's just that maybe, you know, your body changed or, right. you know, maybe you figured out how to cope with it differently, but it's still like possible for you to pass out. Exactly. It's, a, it's the same right. phenomenon. Right. These things can go away for a while, not bother you for a while, but they can come back. Um, and as long as you're aware, um, then you don't feel so surprised when it happens. Okay. You know? Is it stress related too? Can like you be, mm. um, can it be triggered more intensely when you're going through something that's difficult? Um, yeah. Something very intense, I would say. So one other thing, and this is, I'm glad you mentioned it. One other trigger besides illnesses and allergies and temperature, um, emotion fluctuations. So some patients will report, and this is pretty well documented, when they're like being tickled and they're laughing for many, many minutes in a row, they can start to go into a coughing fit. Mm -hmm. if they're crying a lot. So strong emotion uh, can trigger a, a, a bronchospasm, which is the, the coughing, the wheezing, the chest tightness. So um, we, we don't tell parents, don't laugh, don't make them laugh, don't make them, <laughs> or don't make them cry, because that's, you know, not good treatment plan. But uh, it's also one of those triggers that we always list, like, know your triggers. Like a roller coaster or something that... No, that that probably wouldn't do it no. unless you unless you spent like a long time screaming because you know yelling gotcha. and screaming can can do it uh, mm -hmm. or shouting. But um, no, just th the actual stress of going through an episode like uh, of a roller coaster wouldn't do it. But um, but if one were to laugh a lot or cry, it has to do with I guess with the actual use of the uh, respiratory system mm -hmm. um, repeatedly. Um, it's akin to exercise. I mean, not that laughing is exercise, but it's a similar idea. Okay, you know, overuse of the of the um, of the lungs rapidly. What about uh, hormones, like um, for women, like do they n notice that like when their hormones are fluctuating each month that like they, does it trigger that at all or not really? There is an association between um, menstrual cycles uh, and and asthma as far as I know. There is um, a lot of moms who report during pregnancy, however, that they began noticing um their asthma is back if they had asthma when they were younger. Mm -hmm. um, and there are patients or, or parents who report um, during pregnancy that they suddenly developed asthma they didn't know they had. Mm -hmm. They never had before. So the so-called adult onset. So uh, pregnancy can do that. And that has everything to do with the fact that there's only so much room you have in your torso between your, your neck and your pelvis. And as you have a, a, growing, if you have a growing fetus, um, you know, taking up space, the lungs get um, a little squished, uh, if you will. And so that they, uh, they have to sort of um, uh, compensate, and sometimes the patient can present with asthma symptoms. But, oh, interesting. Um, that's the closest thing I could think of that's like hormonal, let's say, triggered, because there is obviously some component there during pregnancy. Okay. Yeah. Um, for parents, I'm sure you, you treat, you know, many children who, um, if, you know, they are diagnosed with asthma and it's maybe more on the severe side, I'm sure it's, um, you know, it's a lot to manage for a child and also for the parents can mm -hmm. be stressful. What are the, some of the things that you tell your patients and the parents to like, you know, be mindful of each day and also, um, 
you know, to to kind of also make them feel a little bit better too about having to, you know, be um, cognizant of this new diagnosis, right, mm -hmm. for their child that they face with each day. So it's like any other chronic condition. It's important to, you know, explain to the child that this is this is normal for them to to have. This, this is not something that makes them unusual or strange. Um, and because, as I mentioned, the numbers before, because it's so common, I don't think it it scares too many kids to hear about it or parents because this is not an unusual diagnosis, but um, it's different. You know, when they get diagnosed for the very first time, it's not, it's not, it's not um, old for them. This is new for them. Mm -hmm. And so we understand that. And so what we do is we make sure that they have an asthma treatment plan filled out, completed, signed and stamped by uh, the provider and by the parent because this basically lays out the medications you would use um, either daily if you have one or in case of symptoms uh, and the copy is given to the parent and it's given to the school nurse um, if they're in school and, or any caretaker. This way it's crystal clear what to do if this child begins to have symptoms. There's no mystery because it's the unknown that scares people. Mm -hmm. And if they were to start having symptoms and didn't know where their inhaler was, didn't know what it, what it was to have asthma or um, you know weren't given some clear direction, then, then they're going to be uh, left out in the, in the dark. Um, so it's it's all about just making it clear what to do in case of a of a problem and to and to sort of normalize it in a sense. This is okay. Um, you know, we don't know why you have asthma. We, we think we have some ideas, but um, here's what it is, and we're going to treat it. And um, so, actually, I forgot to ask this earlier. The um, so you know your primary maybe recommends that you go to see a pulmonologist to you know to decipher whether or not you do have asthma. Um, what are there tests done to like diagnose it? Mm -hmm. How um, how does it work? Yeah. So before they invented lung function, you know, testing equipment, um, it was always about the the three strikes are out story, the repeated symptoms. So you could do it, meaning make a diagnosis with just a history gathering, you know, session. Um, but technology is very important, and mm -hmm. so we like to sort of use our technology and 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 optimize our diagnostic capabilities. And um, we do lung function testing. It's essentially a, a breathing maneuver into a, a device that's hooked up to a program on a laptop. And what we do is we measure um, lung capacity and airflow rates. And there are very you know, clear numbers and, and criteria for what consider, is considered asthmatic versus not. Okay. Um, and so we do that in the office. Um, we also measure a gas called nitric oxide that someone can exhale into a device. We can measure that gas. That's also known to be elevated in kids. It's a biomarker for asthma allergy, at least. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's more um, extensive equipment, more detailed tests that we can order over in the at Jersey Shore at the hospital. We have a PFT lab, a pulmonary function testing lab there um, for more, even more detailed testing. But office equipment is uh, the first stop when you're in there being seen. And it, it should be uh, also known that patients above the age of five can do this. Under the age of five, not that there are not intelligent four-year-olds and three-year-olds, but it's a maneuver that involves very specific uh, technique. And so we reserve it for kids over five. Under five, we have to go by the history and the exam and what parents tell us uh, and, and not rely on equipment and numbers just yet. I see. Mm -hmm. um, so do you always recommend that they also see an allergist? Yeah. If the patient has pretty clear-cut allergy symptoms and wants to know their triggers, we offer them one of two things. A visit with our local allergist teams. We have referral date, uh, addresses, phone numbers that we give them all the time uh, and find someone close to home that, that, they, that they prefer. Uh, but there are also blood tests that we can order. Okay. As a starting point, uh, you can measure um, how many antibodies you have, a specific antibodies to dog, cat, chicken, 
wow. trees, grass. There's lots of things you can test for uh, that are measurable on a blood test to see how much allergy you have or how allergic you are to those things. It's mm -hmm. a pretty, you know, extensive panel. Um, and it leave it up to the parents. If the parent wants to start with a blood test and then decide whether from there they should see an allergist because the tests don't seem too concerning, then we don't refer yet. Um, you know, I, but I'm always open to the idea of, you know, in incorporating more, uh, more eyes and ears to help figure things out for parents. Got it. Yeah. And especially if a patient needs to be on allergy shots, that, that we rely on our allergists for. Uh, we don't give them in our office. So if a patient's highly allergic to, let's say, environmental triggers, pets, and they have pets, they don't want to get rid of them. Um, allergy shots are an option. So we refer to those colleagues of ours for help. Okay. Yeah. Great. This has been such helpful information. Um, I'm sure there's lots of parents out there that, you know, maybe are struggling with, um, you know, not sure what the, what's wrong with their child or yeah. also are just kind of used to this. And it's, um, you know, just valuable information for so many. Mm -hmm. um, where can parents find you to make an appointment, to get some more information? No. Um, our, uh, uh, speaking of technology, is it's, there's the um, website is hackensackmarinehealth.org. Um, uh, and um, and we, we'll link it too here. Of course, yep. if you can link it over, that would yep. be great. Um, our office phone number is 732-776-4268. You can call and make an appointment anytime. Right, um, in, um, in the near the Jersey Shore Hospital, right? At Jersey Shore University Medical yep. Center. Yep. We're in Neptune, New Jersey uh, on Davis Avenue, yes. Perfect. Yeah, I've yeah. been there for the um, the. The towers, the, the Hope Tower. Hope Tower. Yes, yeah, beautiful exactly building. Right. My yes. daughter went to um, an endocrinologist there, and it's a really, really impressive building. Really it's nice. It's a very nice facility. They yes. built it not too long ago, and we're happy to be there. Uh, so it's a sort of one big happy family all on the fifth floor. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I think she's on the sixth, I wanted to say, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's been a little <laughs> while. It's good we haven't been back, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> good always you good. haven't seen us. That's always good. Um, well, thank you again. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll link everything here to, um, to access all that information and uh, find out more. Thanks again to Hackensack Meridian Children's Health for uh, sponsoring the Family Health Care Series with the Mammoth Moms. Coming up, we have I, um, we just announced our next event for the fall, our Mammoth Moms Fall Festival coming on Sunday, October 22nd here at Bell Works. Um, we have lots of vendors, over 100 vendors shop a little bit early for, hmm. for Christmas. It's a week before Halloween. So, you know, like November 1st is automatically the holidays now. So, um, so we'll have lots of, uh, lots of good stuff there. We also have our touch a truck um, activities happening outside that day. Hmm. Lots of kids activities. We have new trucks we have um a video game truck all kinds of cool stuff for um cool. for the kids that day we have a pumpkin carving contest that's something new that we haven't done so anyone out there who is wants to show off their skills and um and compete we have some cool prizes and uh it'll be fun we have um some kids voting for um who wins the best pumpkin that day also um Indoor activity zone, food, Barbella will be open. Um, so it's a great community day. Definitely mark your calendars for that. Um, as always, our uh, we have lots of local events and activities happening as we um, near the end of summer, unfortunately. Um, but go into fall. Fall's also so much fun. So lots of fun stuff happening. As always, um, visit themammothmoms.com for more information and where to go and what to see as we head into the next season. Have a great day, everyone.